Hello and welcome to Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. Today's episode is called Comparison Kills. Right now you might be thinking that's a bit of exaggeration, hyperbole, Amber. Clearly comparison doesn't kill anyone. But remember, Jesus compared murder to hatred. And a lot of times when we compare, we do start hating something. And a lot of times that something is our own lives. So yeah, maybe comparison does kill. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I have been writing and teaching Bible studies for the past 15 years. I've worked with women, youth, Sunday school. I've been blogging for Time of Grace since 2017. I've written two books for them. Really what you need to know is that I love the Lord and I love the Word of God. And I find that the deeper I go into the Word of God, the more astounded I am that he loves us and that he notices us and that he cares so deeply about our lives. And my role is really to get people into the word and to show them how awesome it is and to really get them to a place that they want to know and love God more. That's kind of my mission in life in a nutshell. In today's episode, I'm going to give you three examples in the Bible where we see comparison led to no good. I'm going to give you five examples of people in the Bible that a lot of times we think really had it all together, but we're going to examine them a little more closely and see that there were some significant hurts and traumas in their life despite all the good things that they got. And of course, I'm also going to give you some Quotes to hang on your door to hopefully motivate you to not compare, but to take the long view of seeing God has a plan and a purpose for your life. So there is absolutely no reason to compare to anyone else. So let's get started. First of all, I want to use a little imagery with you. Imagine you're in a race because we're told in scripture that we are running a race. And we're also told that we want to run our race. So imagine a racer going around a track, constantly looking over their shoulder to see the people around them. So if the racer's in front, they're looking over their shoulders to see how far behind the other racers are. And if the racer is towards the back, they're looking ahead to see where the other racers are. How well do you run when you're gawking at the other racers? I'm going to guess not very well. I think our race is best run when we stay in our lane and we run our race, not worrying about any of the other racers. Let's keep that in mind as we look at these three scripture examples. The first example are two sisters in the book of Genesis. They're called Rachel and Leah, and they are the wives of Jacob. Now, Jacob had fallen in love with Rachel, wanted to marry Rachel. That was the one he wanted as his wife. But Rachel and Leah's father, Laban, tricked Jacob into marrying Leah on his wedding day. Now, we don't know much about Leah. We know that something was wrong with her eyes. But Rachel, we know, was beautiful. And she's the one who Jacob really loved. And we see this being a problem in the marriage because Rachel, it turns out, wasn't able to have children right away. So, even though she's beautiful, even though she's loved, she is not very happy because she doesn't have any children. And her sister, 
who is, well, we don't know if she's not beautiful. We're not told that she's beautiful. We know that she has something wrong with her eyes. And she's not Jacob's choice. We know that. She has child after child after child after child. And we see this causing all kinds of problems in the relationship. Leah doesn't feel loved. And she's continually striving for this love that she wants Jacob to give her. Rachel wants children. And she's continually striving for these children that God's not giving her. And so there's this constant comparison that causes jealousy and being disgruntled. And when eventually Rachel finally does have a child, Joseph, we see with the offspring this whole strife continuing. So Jacob loves Joseph because it's Rachel's child. And because of his favoritism, Leah's children hate Joseph. So the hatred, the comparison, the striving continues. Generation two, just a real mess of a situation. Another um, example in scripture is the Israelites. When they leave Egypt, so remember they had been um, slaves in Egypt and God led them out through Moses, his leader, and they get into the desert and they are disgruntled. So they, they're no longer slaves, but they get to the desert and they find, well, we don't have our homes and we don't have access to the markets of fresh fruit and we don't have, you know, things convenient like we had it in Egypt. And so they start comparing and seeing that they're not so happy, even though they're free and even though they're on their way to a country of their own, they're grumbling. We would rather be in Egypt. They're comparing their life in Egypt as slaves, which was hard, to their life in the desert and thinking Egypt is a better bet. Kind of crazy, but that's how much, you know, they miss the conveniences of their life in Egypt. And they, again, didn't have the long view of, you know, when we get to our own country, when we get to the land that God has promised us, then we can be established again and we can have those markets and that convenient food and water right in our doorsteps. But for now, we're on the journey. They forgot that. And so there was a lot of grumbling, discontent, and they were continually telling Moses that they would rather just turn around and go back to Egypt. Example number three from scripture. When Samuel was leading the Israelites, the people came to him and said, look, we're looking at the nations around us and they all have kings. We want a king. We don't want a prophet to lead us anymore. Now, God was really the one leading their nation through the prophets, but the people didn't see the blessing in that. And they didn't want that anymore. They were comparing themselves to their ungodly neighbors and saying, that's what we want. Samuel had been this godly man leading them through everything that God sent their way. And instead, they got Saul, the first king of Israel, who showed very early in his kingship that he was not going to listen to God, not going to do things God's way. He became very arrogant, and he tried to kill David, who God established as the second king of Israel. So because the people compared 
themselves and their nation to the nations around them. They insisted on a different path than God would have led them on. And that's what can happen so easily to us if we get caught up in looking at everybody else and the life that everybody else has instead of concentrating on the life that God has given us and running the race that we are supposed to have. Okay, so let's look at some people in Scripture who, if you don't examine their lives closely, you might think, well, they just had it all. First one, Moses. Moses was a great leader. God used him for 40 years to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land, then through their 39 years of wandering before they ended up back at Canaan's door. And by all accounts, Moses was a great man. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He um, judged Israel for a long time by himself and then was given help. And, you know, a lot of people know him even still today. He, w- he went down in history as a great man. He was one of the two prophets that appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, who um, was talking with Jesus shortly before his death. So, great man. Okay, where's the trauma? Well, if we remember, his life started out in a basket when his mother put him there because she knew she had to give him up. She couldn't raise him. At that time, Israeli boys were thrown in the Nile by anyone who caught them because Pharaoh told all his people to throw all the boys, the Israelite boys, into the Nile and get rid of them. So while he was able to stay with his mom until she weaned him, he ended up going to the palace and being raised there, which you go, well, that's not too bad, right? But he had to leave his mom who loved him. I mean, take a two- or three-year-old child away from the only family that they'd known, and that's a little bit traumatic. And clearly we see he had some ties to the Hebrews because when he was 40, he defended a Hebrew and killed the Egyptian slave master who was beating the Hebrew. That caused him to run away to the desert where he spent 40 years just um, being married, raising sheep, having a family before God called him into service. So yeah, there was clearly some trauma there. Yeah, he had the palace life and the great education, but he also had that first episode in his life where he was dropped off at the palace, and he had the second episode in his life where he had to flee for his life, left everything he knew, left that grand life of of the palace and being raised as the, you know, Pharaoh's son and uh, fled into the desert to to live in, you know, secrecy where he thought he would end his days. Another example, Joseph. Joseph, of course, we know was raised up and became the second in command of Egypt. So he became a great, great man. But again, how did it start out? He was dad's beloved. And because of that, he was hated by his brothers. Absolutely hated. And hated so badly that they sold him to get rid of him, and he became a slave in Egypt. And as if that wasn't bad enough, eventually he got thrown into prison. So it just went from bad to worse. And, you know, you think, we brush over that so quickly when we teach these lessons in Sunday school. 
but it is good to pause at that point where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and he sends all his household servants out of the room and he weeps so loud. And then we're told that, you know, his servants here and they tell Pharaoh's household, listen, that is not a guy who hasn't gone through a lot of trauma and pain. That's a man whose trauma and pain has stuck with him. He is just letting it all go there. So yeah, he he was raised up to a high position to be used by God, but boy, there was some serious trauma along the way. But Esther, Esther was beautiful. And yes, again, she became the wife of Xerxes, who was the greatest man in the day um, at at the time. But let's look at her life a little bit. So she was orphaned. Both her parents died. She was sent to live with her cousin Mordecai. Then she was taken away from Mordecai to be put in um, the king's service where he tried the women out and decided which one he wanted to be his wife. And clearly God led him to choose Esther so that he would be able to use her as an instrument to save his people. But again, even when she was queen, Oh, yeah, you can say, well, she lived at the palace and she had all these beauty treatments and clearly she had food and great clothes and jewelry at her disposal. But it was not the typical American marriage. I mean, at the time when Mordecai came to her and said, you've got to go speak to Xerxes on the Jews' behalf, she answered him and said, he hasn't even sent for me for a month. I haven't even seen the guy. Xerxes had a whole harem of women who could fill his needs. So he didn't need his wife. So, yeah, she was beautiful. She lived at the palace eventually, but she was also orphaned. She was taken away from her cousin Mordecai. And then she was, you know, made to marry a heathen king. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We are told that they were raised in nobility at the time of Daniel chapter 1. They've been taken to Babylon to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. We know from Daniel chapter 1 that they were men who had no blemish. They were good looking and they were also intelligent. They were prone to um, really being able to learn well and they had wisdom. And so, you know, from the outside, yeah, okay, nobility, good life, right? They've been raised with the good things of life. They had a good high standing in Israel. They were good looking. They were smart, seemed to have the whole package, but let's face it. They had to serve a heathen king. They were taken from their homeland and from their families. So on the one hand, where it appears that they had everything because they were um, brought to Babylon and we're in the king's service, so it looks like they have a high position and, you know, again, good-looking, smart. But on the other hand, they've lost everything. They've lost their homeland. They're there as prisoners. They've lost their family. They just have each other. So mm, let's not over-glorify it as if, you know, they didn't have their troubles because they certainly did. And even Sarah in the Old Testament. So Sarah was Abraham's wife. So she was married to a godly man who we know had a lot of wealth, political power, um, good standing in society. Again, she was beautiful, 
We are told that Sarah was a very beautiful woman, even in her old age. So she seems to have the whole package, but she's never been able to have a child. So, you know, she's got this sadness about her that she's never been fulfilled in that way. So it's so easy when we look from the outside to think, oh, this person has everything. Or even if they don't, you know, well, okay, Sarah doesn't have a child, but look at what she does have. Yeah, that's easy to say when you're on the outside. When you're living through the pain of not having a child, it's a little different. So I think it's good for us to realize that people who look like they have it all always have things that are not so hot in their life. Nobody really has it all. And why is that? Why would God want to give us everything on this side of heaven? If we did, then the temptation would be to just build our kingdom here. This is it. This is all I need. Why do I even need God if that's the case? I'm happy. I'm content. I don't want to go to heaven. But when we have those painful situations or when we have things, the unfulfilled dreams, the unmet expectation, that just reminds us that this is not our home. We're on a journey. We're in a race. But, you know, (laughs) the finish line is our home in heaven. And that's what we're going towards. We don't want to build our kingdom here. We don't want this to be our end all, be all. This is just a part of the race. This is one phase. So we don't need to get too worried about what we don't have here because this isn't, this isn't where we're living forever. Um, here's a couple of quotes to put things in perspective. Um, this is from singer-songwriter John Mayer. It says, someday, everything will make perfect sense. So for now, laugh at the confusion, smile through the tears, be strong, and keep reminding yourself that everything happens for a reason. Ah, that is a really good perspective. That again goes back to the, this is not everything. Don't get too caught up in in all of this. Yeah, there's some confusion at times. There's a lot of tears. It's okay. This isn't the finish line. This is just one leg of the race. So keep going. It won't always be confusing and it won't always be sorrowful. There will be lots of good times along the way. Um, Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. (laughs) So a lot of times when we're so busy comparing our lives to other people who we think have it all together, We are not enjoying where we're at now. And isn't that the truth? You know, when your relationship um, is not going so hot, you can scroll through Instagram or Facebook or whatever your social media um, app is that you love, and you see all the people who are madly in love or at least perceiving themselves as being madly in love, and you just think, oh, that is not where I'm at. And you can't enjoy where you're at because everybody else seems to have it together. Or when your kids are going through a really rotten phase of rebellion or not sleeping or really struggling in school and you scroll through the social media 
and you find all these people whose kids are winning awards and people who say, oh, my kids are the best. I just love them. I am so glad God gave them to me. And you are thinking, seriously? Are you kidding me? Like, what am I doing wrong? Comparison is the thief of joy. Forget it. Don't compare at that time. You know what you need to be doing at that time? You know what I need to be doing at the time? I need to be praying for my marriage and praying for my children and praying for my heart and praying that God helps me to have the wisdom I need to not compare my life to anybody else, but to stay in my lane and to run my race. There's a meme that says the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. And isn't that the truth? Listen, I don't have a huge house. I have a very nice, mediocre house. And as long as I don't compare it to anybody else, I love my house. When I start comparing, oh man, it doesn't measure up. I don't have the best home furnishings. I don't have the super manicured lawn. I don't have a lot of things, but you know what? There's love here. And as long as I don't compare it to anybody else, I've got the greatest house in the world. Something for us to remember. A friend of mine said to me one time, you know, Amber, there's a cost to everything that we do. We all make choices. We can choose to strive after things here. We can choose, like I said, to have that super awesome manicured lawn and super nice house with the great furnishings. And we can really, really strive to be great in our professional life or to put all our time and effort into having super um, accomplished kids. And there will be a cost to that because all of that comes at the expense of something else. It's so much better... <laughs> to put God first, serve him, serve his kingdom, raise children that know and love him. And you know what? Let everything else fall where it falls. So be it. Lord, this is the life you've given me and I am grateful for it. And it is awesome. Keep that in mind. And let's all work hard to quit comparing our lives to anybody else's. God never intended us to do that. He just wants us to look to him, run the race that we're supposed to, to run, and bring glory to God in the meantime. This is little things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and share it and subscribe to this podcast. And as always, please support Time of Grace with your prayers and financial contributions so we can share this message and many others with many more people. Mm -hmm.